Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Siobhan, what a pleasure to have you back. I, I think you have some fans in the, <laughs> in the community. Um, yes, yes, yes. How are you today, Siobhan? I am doing really well. You know, woke up this Sunday and was feeling kind of down, but I recognized that I had a new city and it made me really excited to get up. Oh, to hear that, folks? It's a happy reason to get up in the morning. Hallelujah. So, Siobhan, I want to just dive right in because there's so much richness in, uh, in our reading today. So, uh, first off, I know that you uh, led a really fabulous Life Together group uh, this year, uh, this season, yay, 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 about uh, protests and poetry. And I guess I'm curious, when you read the story of Advent, what makes the story of Advent revolutionary? I love this question so much. <laughs> <laughs> So to me, Advent is a form of dream sharing. The hopes and dreams of ancient people are packaged into what we call the Bible. Writing the Bible is a form of dream sharing. Reading the Bible is a way. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Reading the Bible is a form of dream sharing and interacting with our spiritual ancestors. Mm. Jesus was our ancestors' dream made real. Mm. So Jesus is literally of royal lineage through Mary, and he's described as being through the old lineage through the Old Testament king, King David. Um, and if you're interested in biblical genealogy, the first chapter of Matthew is really, really helpful for this. So, but Jesus was the son of God, born to working class parents in a barn, rewriting, rewriting what counts as typical. Mm. Jesus's birth wasn't the most glamorous revolution, but it's a revolution specifically because it wasn't glamorous, mm. because God was working in ways mm. that people didn't expect. Mm. God is showing us that revolutions come in all forms and all packages in ways mm. that the world least expects to see what, how she's doing her work, mm. to see how she's making dreams into realities, therefore making revolutionaries take place. Ah! Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're starting big is, is what I've learned from this. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to, um, really highlight something that you said that dream sharing in itself is an act of revolution. And the, the text that we call the Bible is generations of people sharing their dreams, uh, that God has given them about, like literally dreams, uh, of what God has given them for thousands of years. And, um, the, I think the book of Matthew has, uh, in that first chapter that you mentioned, I think it has 72 generations. I, I want, one time counted one day. 72 generations. So just imagine, by the way, passing down the dreams of not like your grandparent or your great grandparent, but your like great, great, great time 72 grandparent for the world. And, um, and, and sometimes seeing, you know, some, they're, they're really, um, high points in the Bible where we're close to the dream of liberation, but most of it is pretty much not. <laughs> and, um, 
And, and so, like, I think the, just like the revolutionary endurance of passing on the, the dreams is so, uh, so instructive for us. Because sometimes it's kind of, it can be easy to be impatient about revolution. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, why hasn't this already happened? Why are we still de dealing with the things that we were dealing with in the 80s, in the 20s, in the 1880s, in the 1780s? And I think um, the Bible in itself is kind of a, 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 a case study of how we can carry on the revolution. Oh, completely agree. Mm -hmm. And um, the second thing I really appreciated about what you said was um, how everyday and kind of like non-glamorous the Advent story is. Um, I, I think that I don't know, especially with Instagram and TikTok and everything just being so visual, we kind of expect if something is if something important is happening, it's well designed and it's well publicized. Mm -hmm. And uh, the revolution will not be publicized. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I, I love that. Um, so can you say a little bit more about the context for today's verses? You already got into it a little bit, but... Yeah, so it's about Mary, and she receives this message from an angel saying that she's going to give birth to God's son. And after she went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with a miracle that would be John the Baptist, mm -hmm. after Elizabeth was told that she couldn't get pregnant... She would prepare, John the Baptist would prepare, prepare, excuse me, the way mm -hmm. for Jesus' ministry and do tons of other super amazing things and miracles of his own right. Mm. So when Mary greeted her cousin, John the Baptist, in utero, jumped for joy in Elizabeth. Mm. Then Mary was so full of praise that she sang the song that was in today's verses. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really important context because, um, for, for that encounter between uh, Elizabeth and Mary, um, Elizabeth talks about uh, when Mary entered the room, her womb leapt for joy. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's such a beautiful moment of embodiment. Like, she wasn't, the, the way that she knew that God was present was through a sensation that she felt in her body. And I think there's an invitation for us, like modern Westerners, to think about, like, m might there be ways that God is still speaking through our very bodies? Um, and the other thing was, oh, about John the Baptist. And, and we heard about uh, John Carlos preach on John the Baptist last mm -hmm. week really well. And so um, make sure to check that out in our archive or podcast. Yeah. Um, so you are like an expert on protest poetry. Can you just like break down a little bit of, we call this the Magnificat Mary Song. Can you just break down how um, Mary's song is protest poetry? Of course. <laughs> So at the very heart of this are words of hope and revolution and promise of freedom from oppressive sources. These people were under Roman empiric control and they had to say their messages in ways that weren't as overt in order to still get the word across. And I definitely think mm. that this was a message, message against colonizers for marginalized people within the first century context. Verse 151 through 53 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those arrogant, he has scattered with arrogant thoughts those proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Yes. He has filled the hungry with good things and sit the rich away empty handed. 
Mary is contrasting the powerful with those who have historically had little power to show that the tables will turn. Mm -hmm. This, like, this late has been, this last, the last should be first and the first should be last to quote Jesus's ministry. And I want to also point about, point out that prayer is poetry and poetry is prayer. I learned something the other day that Anglican Christian tradition, tradition of Lexi Ordani, Lexi Credendi, Lex oh, Vivendi. Yes. Yeah, the law of prayer is a law of belief, which is a law of what is lived. Sometimes it's Lex per Vendi. Am I saying it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's added to the phrase, the law of prayer is a law of belief, is a law of survival. Yeah. We pray what we believe, which turns into how we live, which turns into how we survive mm. in the world. Mm. Mary's prayer say is it what again, she... just say it again, Just say that one part again. We pray what we believe and how... <laughs> we pray what we believe, which turns into how we live and how we survive in the world. Mary's prayer is what she believed, which is how she lived, which in turn teaches us how to pray and what to believe and how to live. And the best poetry inspires us to move. Ah! <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so that, uh, I, did, I wasn't expecting there to be Latin this Sunday, but that I love that example of um, the reason why we pray is like, it's kind of like practice. Like we're, mm -hmm. we're praying to eventually so habituate ourselves to these beliefs that they start to like manifest in our lives. And that ultimately is, is the grounds for our survival. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of the reverse side of that is like, if we don't pray for liberation, then, uh, the empire will pray for us and shape us towards the, <laughs> towards consumerism and greed and hatred. So it's, it's for me, it's not really like, um, whether or not you are formed in your soul, it's more like, who are you going to buy into? <laughs> and, and Mary offers a, a key encoded poem to do that. Mm -hmm. That was the other thing I really wanted to highlight. Um, every marginalized people group knows uh, what it's like to create coded language and to survive through coded language because the empire is listening, the empire is surveilling and um, every immigrant group, every queer group, every um, anyone who is doing anything subversive has always had to be coded. Mm -hmm. And I think there's really something about like Mary speaking this coded revolution over Jesus's life mm -hmm. before he was even born, and that setting the tone for his entire ministry. Um, like it wasn't just her prayers became her belief became her life. It was her prayers became her child's life and ministry. So, And I think that's what makes the Bible so revolutionary as it was Mary sharing her dreams yeah. that were recorded that became words for us to read later. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, who or what is being called into action with Mary's song? You talked about uh, a good poem calls people to action. Like, mm -hmm. who or what is being called to action in this song? Well, definitely those in power are being called to humble themselves with those who have been, those who have been oppressed being told that their day will come. It's meant to tell people that Mary is a woman highly favored given her role as being chosen to carry Christ. It's meant to be a blueprint and reminder for what our priorities should be as followers of Christ. Mm. It's a reminder that God is making the world new through Jesus. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, and I th- it makes me think about um, Mary, similar to many women throughout uh, the Old Testament, sang this song not out of like dogged obligation. Like it wasn't like, okay, Mary, time to wake up and sing the Magnificat. Like it was, she was like, I I feel something that is so incredible and real about God that I must sing and create this poem. And um, and I just think that's like such a witness for us today about like um, the Christian practice is not just about like dogged obligation, but about like, how can you go about finding something in your life that is so powerful, real, and potent that like your every cell of your being erupts into song whenever you encounter it? Like that's the the power that um, Mary promises is available to all of us, and she's modeling that for us in this poem. Tyler, I have a question for you. Oh no. <laughs> yes. Could you describe the Magnifica a bit more? The Magnificat, yeah. So, like, um, so the Magnificat is the name of the song for Mary uh, that, that that we just listened to, and it's a really significant part of the Christian tradition all the way through uh, for thousands of years. Um, it's a really significant part of the um, Catholic tradition, and um, where while I don't uh, relate to Mary in the same way that many Catholics do, like many Catholics. Um, um, see Mary because she's a virgin, uh, giving birth, like she is, uh, more blameless and therefore able to access Jesus in ways that, like, we can't. I'm a little bit more, like, democratized than that. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we can all access Jesus. But, um, but nonetheless, like, Mary is this, like, prolific, um, prophet, sage, teacher, mm-hmm. instructor who, uh, gave the world this gift of the Magnificat. Um, who, by the way, Mary was a teenager. So I think that's significant too, that like one of the most, um, influential faith practitioners in all of history, certainly Christianity, was, um, a young woman who was a teenager. And, um, and maybe there's something for us to apply and learn in our own context as well. Yeah, I think it shows how youth are so essential to the revolution. Yes, yes, yes. Listen, I don't know if you can, um, if you're experiencing this on the live stream, but we have children's ministry in room in the sanctuary. And I just think, like, it's part of our collect, as adults, it's part of our collective conditioning and training to show, like, to model how to attend church and be worshipful with children in the room, like, observing whatever they choose to observe. And, like, a lot of churches, a lot of church experiences are, like, we want to send the kids out there so that the grown-ups can have grown-up time. And I think um, at least something that we're experimenting with right now is questioning, like, is that actually what the church community is supposed to be about? Like, is it actually um, a movement if there aren't children involved in it? So I think, um, so that's... Uh, something that we're thinking about. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how Mary's song fulfills scripture? Mary's song is a promise. It's a dream. Mary's song is a promise of revolution. Mm. Mary's labor is a revolution. Revolutions are promises to future generations. Mm. Jesus was a dream made real through people in the Old Testament, their dreams being told. Mm. 
I read somewhere in the New Testament that the New Testament is Old Testament contained, while the Old Testament is the New Testament explained. Last week's sermon on Isaiah and weeks before that you preached about Isaiah showed Jesus as a New Testament promise from Old Testament prophets. Mm. Jesus was a promise of a king coming to introduce a new way of being and mend up the brokenhearted. One of Jesus's sermons quotes Isaiah 61 saying, The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has not anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives, and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mm. Mary's song covers similar themes than the verses in the verses of Isaiah. Jesus is coming to set things right, just as predicted. Very good. Oh, so rich. Yeah, I think... Um, the whole concept, the whole, I, I learned this while I was researching a sermon a couple weeks ago. Um, the whole title Prince of Peace for Jesus came from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. They'll call him Prince of Peace. And I just think even the concept Prince of Peace is exactly the dream of the ancestors that, are, that they're waiting. Like, we're waiting for someone to, like, create a peaceable kingdom that is so, like, wise, whole, and caring that we actually don't need royalty or we actually don't need leaders. Like there's like, like there's a prince who um, can rule through wisdom, softness and gentleness and, uh, and God, she is uh, making a way for us in that. And, and Jesus being the fulfillment of that is just such a, is such a rich gift. I and like, it, oh, yeah, go please, on. please, please, please. Um, correct me if I'm wrong with yeah. that verse, um, how it goes, wonderful counselor, mighty yeah. God, everlasting power, prince of peace. Yes. That was a song when I was in Sunday school. This is why we <laughs> sing the songs, y'all. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I think each of those titles have so much significance, showing how Jesus is making a new way. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And keep in mind that this is a descendant of David. And King David was someone who was celebrated, um, for those who are familiar with the story, like, so King, uh, King David and Saul, before he was a king, David and Saul were kind of in competition with each other. And the song was that people always sang as kind of David's propaganda was like, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. And that was to show, like, how effective David was as a ruler. Like, we should, believe in David because he killed tens of thousands instead of just thousands of people. Isn't that the person that we want to put our leadership behind? And we're saying like the descendant of that guy who killed tens of thousands of people will be like redeemed in a way that ultimately creates a way for peace. Um, Jesus didn't kill anyone in his ministry. <laughs> in fact, he like abolished death. In, that's a whole nother theological concept. But it's like, Jesus, this is, um, I think that this is the redemption story that, that is only possible when we take a generational look at salvation. Um, and, and your comments really remind me of that. Jesus as a generational promise of redemption. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, like, especially in Christmas season, especially in a high consumeristic age, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to think generationally, even like a difference of one down or one up. <laughs> like, it's, it's really hard to even imagine that. And part of the 
invitation from the Bible is to decolonize our imaginations, to think about like, how are we living right now so that 72 generations from now, the world might be a place that knows God's peace a little bit more? And like, how do we kind of like pray it forward so that, um, so that God's peace can, I don't know, live in a world that does has, still have cruelty in it. Yeah. I love that phrase, pray it forward. Try to pray it forward, y'all. <laughs> Listen. Um, because certainly, and this is why we take 30 seconds in the beginning of the service, certainly people have prayed it forward for us. Mm-hmm. Is that not super evident and clear? Like people for generations, even if uh, you're a first generation Christian or you're the first person in your biological lineage to be checking out Christianity, like hundreds and thousands of years of people uh, pr- prayed for this space, <laughs> for this to be able to be possible. Um, I was just learning about, can I tell a little aside? Oh, yeah. Um, have you ever heard of Julian of Norwich? Is that? Oh, yes, yes. The, um, super cool. What do you call it? The, um, what's the word? She's like a mystic. And mystic! She's like, yes, yes that's she's the a word. mystic. Mystic. Yeah. And so, um, she has amazing, uh, writing about how, like, God is present, not just in, this like ethereal spiritual land, but in our bodies in in the earth, she has like a whole writing about how like how beautiful the body is because of the food that we eat and how the body dispenses of the food that we eat. Like she literally, like she's like going into it, y'all. And um and the her writing, her dream sharing was so prophetic and um, controversial that nuns kept it secret for like 300 years. Like nuns passed on this writing to each other without telling any of the priests because they were like, this is too important for us to entrust to, um, to men. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> I received that. If like the, the femmes among the community just want to pass on a secret teaching and not tell me about it, like, okay, yeah, full endorsement. But, um, uh, but I just think that's so, like, there's really this theme of like, what are we passing on what has been passed on to us and what are we passing on in like a, in a centuries kind of scope, like a 300 years kind of scope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it reminds me of that Adrian Marie Brown quote, um, we're all ancestors in training. Did y'all ever hear that? We're all ancestors in training. Love that. So I guess as we're wrapping up, Siobhan, I'm curious, um, like, what are kind of like key ways that you're thinking about trying to be an ancestor in training in your own life? Ooh. The hardest question in the whole world. Yeah, go. Well, I am an artist and I help to leave a legacy behind through my art. As a poet, somebody who deals with written words, I'm hoping that my poetry can be a form of dream sharing mm-hmm. where I write things down, where I share what could be for future generations. Mm. Amen, amen. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, thank you so much, Siobhan, for this amazing conversation. I will never see the Magnificat the same. Uh, so thank you, thank you. Can we show some love for Siobhan? Yeah.